Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids, and Omari Sankofa II, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Omari, my guy, we've skipped out on the movies, music, and pop culture talk the past couple of episodes, so you know I had to start this episode asking not about the new Top Gun movie or Radiohead, but about this secret salsa recipe you were tweeting about. Yeah, so I don't know why I was inspired to make salsa recently, but uh, one day I woke up and I was just like, you know what, I'm going to try making salsa. seems like it would be easy. So I looked up a salsa recipe, uh, went to the store, got all the salsa ingredients. Uh, Literally took like 15 minutes from top to finish. Like It's like six, seven ingredients. You roast them in the oven, just turn the broiler on, uh, post it in the blender, let it refrigerate a bit so it all comes together. And it was like 10 out of 10 salsa. Like, I know I'm biased because I made it, but like, I brought it up for my buddy's salsa the next day. He was like, this is the best salsa I ever had. Uh, some other people ate it there. Like, the salsa is great. So I've been on just like an, an eagle trip for the last five days because I made this incredible salsa. And uh, this is what I'm doing all summer. Like, I'm like I'm, I'm the salsa guy now. Like, I'm, I'm making salsa all year, whether it's salsa verde. That's what I made last week. Green salsa, red salsa, uh, mango sauce. I'm making all, all the sauces this summer. So this is not my personality. Omari the salsa king. Who knew? Just <laughs> the to spur that, like there was no motivation. It wasn't like you went to Taco Bell and like, man, I don't like Taco Bell's salsa. Or you went to Chipotle and didn't like their salsa. You just woke up and you're like, you know what? Salsa. I'm gonna make some salsa. Like, are you a are you a chef? Are you usually tinkering? Like, in I the- like cooking for fun. Yeah, like I've always liked cooking. And then, like during the pandemic, when I was home all day, I just started cooking like a lot more. And uh, yeah, like I've made a lot of stuff for the first time over the last like two two and a half years. And I probably just saw like salsa online at some point, like maybe salsa somebody else made or something on Reddit or something. And I was like, yeah, I, yeah that, that seems easy. I, I could probably do that. So that's all it was. And yeah, now I'm, I'm just the salsa king. Like I make the salsa all summer. Like this is, this has been an invigorating experience to make something for the first time. And people are like, this is incredible. Like that is like, this might be my calling. So here we are. It took, tw- it took 28 years to figure out what I was born to do, but I figured it out now. I'm sitting here nervous. I'm like, I'm going to I'm gonna lose my co-host. We're going to lose the best Pistons beat writer, the best beat writer in the NBA to go make salsa for a living. I'm, I'm nervous. I do have two questions, though, Amari, and these are important for our friendship and co-hosting a podcast together. Taco Bell, in or out? So here's the thing. I've only had in and out like three times because... No, 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 no. Are you in or out on Taco Bell? Do you like Taco Bell? Oh, you know, okay, like I thought you were comparing <laughs> Taco Bell, and I was like, wait, well, they serve different things. That's a random comparison. I am like I would say I'm I'm like in, but like the appeal to Taco Bell used to be that it was like cheap and like because of inflation it's not cheap anymore. Like last time I went was like four months ago and I was like I used to pay six bucks for this meal and I was like nine bucks. So uh I was in for a long time, but now I might be out because I don't think the I don't think the price matches the price point that I would pay for it. So uh I'm like right in the middle. Chipotle in or out? Out. I've always been out on Chipotle. I uh, when I was in, in college, we had a, a, a Moe's right next to uh, the, the student newspaper building, and uh, we used to like have coupons in like the, the newspaper at the beginning of every year. So we would just like hoard the newspapers and eat a, a, a bunch of Moe's, and they were the first ones. I won't say they were the first ones to have queso of all those spots, but like they had queso way before uh, Chipotle, and it was way better. It was cheaper. Their chips were better. Uh, I'm a Moe's guy, and it's very sad because there are very few Moe's uh, in like the Metro Detroit area. But uh, Chipotle, they've had they've had several outbreaks of uh, I forget which illness they've gotten in trouble with, but it happens like once a year. 
Well, I've been at Chipotle for like three years. I'm about Chipotle is for it's for losers. Both for winners. I don't know how we're friends. I don't know how we have any <laughs> chemistry on this podcast, but we make it work. And let's get to what we're here to talk about. I always have to do the first four and a half minutes or so for my wife, so she'll listen. I don't know about Jill West's wife if she if that's all she listens to. And my sister in laws, they're all about to turn the episode off now. They they got what they came for. They're going to be bugging me to text you about your salsa recipe, but they're out for the rest of the episode. So, <laughs> Anjanette, Kirk, Carrie, that's why I have to ask those questions at the beginning. But we are here to talk Detroit Pistons. We're here to talk NBA basketball. And because we had such a great guest last week in Richard Stateman, if you didn't listen to that episode, go check it out, breaking down all the prospects at number five for the Pistons. We didn't get to talk about your experience at the Combine, Omari. And I want to start with what was your biggest takeaway specific to the Pistons coming out of the NBA Draft Combine? Yeah, I would say my biggest takeaway, it's pretty broad, but I don't think they really have a bad option at number five. But there's been a lot of debate. Well, should they just go for a guy you know can play, whether that's Ben Matherin or Keegan Murray or go for upside Jaden Ivey or Shaden Sharp or even maybe more of an outside the box uh, pick. I know people have been intrigued by like Dyson Daniels and um, a few of the other guys. I don't really think there's a a, a bad pick. Uh, per se, just from talking to people there. You can make arguments for all these guys, but I think in a lot of drafts, you kind of have guys who have a lot of red flags. And to me, none of these guys really have a lot of red flags. Like, I think all these guys would be good good players to varying extents. Five years from now, you look back and it's like, oh, well, this guy didn't pan out for this reason or that guy didn't pan out for that reason. But uh, right now, and I kind of wrote this after, it's like, they're going to get a good player uh, with the fifth pick. You know, it's impossible to say if any of these guys have real star potential. And I know some people are really high on Ivy. Maybe he has the most star power out, out of that group. But I don't think there's a bad pick. I mean, even if they went for a guy like Keegan Murray, where people say high floor, maybe a lower ceiling, I think that's completely valid for the fifth pick. Is that your personal thoughts coming out? Was that like specific stuff that came from the Pistons or or even guys? You, I'm sure you didn't talk to just Detroit Pistons, you know, people within the organization there, but just the league as a whole. Did you get the vibe from just everybody you talked to that there's five, six, seven? You mentioned Dyson Daniels, who, you know, maybe a guy is, isn't even that high as a good prospect. Just in general, did you, was it people in the league who thought, man, there's, there's some good players after the top three still? Yeah, just like a, a, a mix, like the Pistons feel good about where they're at with number five, you know, just talking to people around the league. Um, yeah, like the draft is wide open once you get past that Caro, Chet, Jabari tier. A lot of people feel pretty good about this draft. Like it's not like an incredible draft like last year, but it's a, a pretty good draft. Um, yeah, I would say the Pistons feel good about it. People around the league were like, you know, like that's a, a pretty good spot to be in because you get your pick of basically everybody outside of that top tier. Uh, which draft history just tells you that, you know, uh, like several guys probably will, you know, end up being stars after those top three or four picks. And um, and also just like personal opinion, like I, I would say all three for sure. Like every everybody feels like five is a pretty good spot to be in. Yeah. So you mentioned Dyson Daniels, and I think I actually asked you this, or I think maybe Wes pushed me to ask you this. And, and you mentioned it in your article, which you guys need to go read. I, I mentioned it every episode. Read Omari Senko for the second on Freep.com. But do you think he's actually in play at number five for the Pistons right now? Because he's a guy that on big boards and you see top five buzz, I don't necessarily see it. I did a deep dive on him for the YouTube channel, but I don't see it with him there. But maybe Troy Weaver and the staff do. I think Daniels has fans in the Pistons. Uh, if I had to bet on it, I wouldn't bet on him being picked at number five. Um you know, I think the, the main question mark for him is just his shot. I mean, you know, he impacts the game in a, a, a lot of ways. Just I was talking to someone. They said this guy's a, a true point guard. Like he's six seven. He's a true point guard, and 
Uh, that's obviously very appealing. Uh, he competes hard on, on defense, just a really toolsy guy. But yeah, the, the shot needs a lot of work and, you know, that caps the ceiling pretty hard. The Pistons, like I don't think they would take him at five and there's still like a few weeks before the draft and a lot can, can change. But, you know, I don't know if he is like significant option at five for them, but he certainly his draft stock is going up and I think he's probably a top 10 pick at this point. And there's still a process that has to, to play out. So he's probably one of the guys that gained the most uh, just from going to Chicago and going through that whole process. He's a really intriguing young kid. Like, he played really well as the season went through for the G League Ignite. Like you said, really competes on the defensive end of the floor, really good on that end. Offensively, does some nice things, really good passer. The shot, I think, is going to be the X factor for him. I got a little bit of Killian Hayes vibes with him in terms of like, I felt like he drove to pass the ball, didn't drive to score the ball. So there are some limitations offensively. I want to ask you about Jay Nivey. And just, again, the vibe you got at the Combine because he's become very polarizing in Detroit Pistons world on Twitter and in the community. Did you have anybody tell you that he was in the same tier as those top three guys? I, I guess what I'm asking, here's the, is there a top four actually, not a top three? Did you get that vibe from anybody, either Pistons-wise or NBA at large, at the Combine? I would say NBA at large is just, it, it kind of just depends on who you talk to. Uh, I think some people do see him. That's being as good as those other guys. And I think he's also helped just by the fact that he is the best guard prospect in this draft. If you have a team that uh, does not necessarily need a big man or a power forward, and they're just in love with Ivy's athleticism, they're probably going to rate him a little bit higher. Uh, if you just look at your roster and you say, we need a guard. Ivy had a fantastic season at Purdue, shot the ball well. Uh, electric athlete, obviously, uh, passes well enough. Uh, shoots well enough we can take this kid and develop him so I would say he's like maybe not in that first year but kind of like 1.5 um, you know like some teams they do see him as being that good some other teams are like you know I don't know if he's quite that guy and we talked about him on the pod a lot I mean obviously he's a guard that still kind of needs to round out his guard skill set a little bit the Pistons like I think if they had a top three pick uh, they probably wouldn't have taken Ivy. they probably would have you know probably would have been Jabari Chet or Bancaro, you know, of course, you know, they like IBS fans with the Pistons too. And he's very much in play at number five. So it just depends what you talk to with him. But like, I would say he's kind of just in like that 1.5 tier. Take us through the combine experience as a whole. Like, what did you have access to? What did you get to watch? Who are some of the guys you got to interview? And then we can talk about some of your favorites. But just give the, the listener an idea of how close were you to the action? How close were these guys and those type of things? Sure. So this was my second combine uh, that I went to in, in person. The first one was back in 2019 uh, when I still covered the Grizzlies. And this one was a little bit different. Uh, there weren't as much media at this one compared to a few years back. Uh, the location was different. And I actually like this one a lot better. Uh, the one a few years ago kind of just felt like there was just like a, a lot of pandemonium because there's so much, so much media. And, you know, you had like Zion who uh, attracted like a ton of attention. I don't even think he interviewed a few years ago. Uh, but this one was like a lot more low key. A lot of team people there, like I would say almost everybody from the Pistons front office was there. Uh, like Troy, Rob Murphy, just, uh, I mean, everybody probably be easier to name the people I didn't see there. Yeah, it was cool. Like it, it, it was cool. Uh, like I definitely liked that there weren't as much media there. So it was just easier to just kind of sit, you know, just kind of see who's walking past. So you can say hi to as far as like the workouts and all that. I say it was pretty typical. You typically see guys who are slated to be drafted outside the top, you know, 15 or so. Um, actually go through the scrimmages and all that because they have the most to gain from it. 
Um, a lot of the top guys did not talk. Uh, they were all slated to, but uh, Jabari Smith, Chet, uh, Bancaro, uh, Shaden Sharp, Ivy, all five of those guys ended up skipping interviews. Uh, but we did talk to Keegan Murray. We talked to Ben Matherin. And we talked to Johnny Davis as far as the guys who are probably slated to go in that top 10. There were a few other guys who were you know, slated to go in the top 10 as well that also talked. And then I also had to talk to Max Christie from Michigan State just because, you know, free press, we cover all the teams. And uh, I was the only guy there. Overall, like, I think it's fun. Like, it's fun just being able to, you know, just talk to different people in media, talk to, you know, scouts, team personnel, you know, people from other teams, agents, whoever, uh, just kind of pick their brains about whatever. Uh, you know, just from like an NBA standpoint, I say the combine and like summer league, uh, really the two opportunities you get uh, per year where you have all these different people sort of in the same room and, it's more so for like player evaluation standpoint, like not any actual games happening. It's just a lot of mingling, talking, you know, figuring stuff out, you know, seeing what people think of who and what, um, you know, which as a reporter, I think that's extremely fun. Honestly, I came out of the combine for sure. Just have a sort of a more firm idea of where certain guys stand. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but it's fun. Like, you know, a lot, I love going to the combine. I'm glad I was able to go and definitely feel like I got a lot out of it as a reporter. Yeah, that's what I've already booked my hotel, my flight, all that stuff to Summer League because I went out last year. Obviously, that's where you and I met for the first time yeah. in person, recorded an episode of the old Motor City Hoops podcast together. And there's just what's cool about it, like you said, there's just so many people out there. You're watching games and it's just getting to interact with a lot of those people. I'm excited to do it again this year. You talked about interviewing, obviously, Max Christie, but, you know, Keegan Murray, Ben Math and Johnny Davis, which one of those guys, not necessarily like what did you get away from those guys? Like, I don't know how much you can get like this is the guy based off the questions you asked and the answers they gave but which one was the most fun which one maybe had the most personality or like man this guy was a really good interview um you're gonna say keegan murray i don't know why i asked this question no i was gonna uh i think that uh johnny davis had the funniest response uh to anything that taco was bell asked. sponsor <laughs> taco bell sponsor yeah i asked him where do you think your draft range is right now and he thought for a minute and then he was like Anywhere from one to 60. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he kind of just had like a dry sense of humor. Uh, but no, you're right. Like the answer is Keegan. I thought Keegan gave the most detailed responses. Uh, you know, he was pretty personable. Matherin was good too, but I think Keegan just, uh, his responses were like a lot more detailed. And yeah, like he was just interesting to talk to. Like I asked him about his defense. He gave a great response about that. The, the shooting, uh, you know, we talked about his dad, who is a, you know, a, um, a former uh, Mr. Michigan uh, for high school basketball. So he's got, you know, ties here and whatnot. Um, yeah, like I definitely thought Keegan uh, came off as very personable and just very bright overall about basketball, which given the season he had last year is probably pretty obvious. I want to ask about Shaden Sharp and not necessarily his game. We, we've talked about that. We've brought people on to talk about that. What was the impression you got from front office guys, NBA guys you talked to about just him not participating in this a lot of this stuff? And now reports are coming out. He wasn't always practicing at Kentucky this last season. The mystery box that is Shane Sharp continues to be more and more of a mystery. Do you feel like people were pretty down on that? I know like a guy like Rafael Barlow, you know, has tweeted out some, you know, from anonymous scouts about how they felt about that. Did you get any of that? Because I feel like you and I have discussed it. You don't think Weaver and the organization is kind of worried about that stuff. Is, is that fair to say? Well, the impression I got is that uh, the Pistons aren't as, as worried. I mean, Sharp, like he's a high upside guy, uh, obviously, like great athlete. Uh, a lot of people feel that I talked to feel pretty good about his outside shooting, uh, which for most guards, of course, is the 
or for most wings, I should say, it's sort of the the, the swing skill as far as this is a guy a role player or um, do they have the legitimate star upside? Yeah, again, like I think it's kind of like Ivy, where it just depends on kind of who you talk to. Um, you know, of course, Sharp. You know, he skipped college, so there's not a lot of tape on him. Uh, but a lot of these people, I've been evaluating him. You know, like since high school, they saw him kind of rise to the top. Uh, you know, like they know what he can do and can't do. They talk to his family. You know, people who know him and whatnot. Um, you know, like I would say, just like college basketball film is just one element. I'd say the problem is that, you know, he had that private workout and, you know, it's not like the most rigorous thing. Like he's the only guy on the court, you know, he's not doing any five on five stuff. You know, he's not a, a perfect prospect, obviously, like you kind of watch him play and he's got some things he does really well, but, you know, he's going against high schoolers. There are guys who, you know, look like whoever gets like high school, like they just kind of have their way. And then, you know, you put them on the floor with other good athletes and, a lot of those advantages kind of disappear. Uh, so again, like it's just, you know, the eye of the beholder type situation. You know, some teams will look at him and they're like, yeah, like we could take this guy and develop him. You know, and he could become something in a few years. Other teams are like, this guy hasn't played, you know. And yeah, he can dominate high schoolers, but you put him on the NBA floor and how quick does he make the, the decisions, right? You know, you still got to be able to play. Uh, you have a lot of guards who are great athletes and, you know, you put them on the floor of guys who are a lot better and, uh, it just turns out they don't process the game as fast. So, uh, you know, teams are just really going to have to do their homework on them, and we'll see how that process plays out. Uh, but he is on the radar for the Pistons, and, uh, you know, stuff to say right now, you know, how much of a, an advantage he has, if any, over guys like Bathroom and uh, Ivy, who I also think the Pistons like a lot. But, you know, Sharp's got some fans. He seems like he'll be probably a top eight pick, if not top ten. Uh, could be top five, even. Uh, and a lot of it just kind of comes down to individual teams and what they need and what they think of them. So before we get to some NBA finals and general NBA talk for the first time, actually, on the podcast, I have just a few questions. So some quick hitters here. What are the private workouts the Pistons have that you know of? What guys are they bringing in? Have we got to that point in the process? Have you heard any names in, in terms of that? Yeah, so some some teams, they, you know, kind of release the guys that they're bringing in for workouts. And some teams don't. Uh, the Pistons have not done that yet and honestly don't know if they will um all teams handle that differently so that's just more of a tbd you know like there are guys that you assume that they'll bring in but they haven't released anything publicly yet what about jeremy grant was he a a name that was going around at the combine obviously a lot of pistons fans think that he could be moved for a possible draft pick you know it's somewhere in the lottery you know seven eight ten twelve you know something like that was his name floated around at all while you were there yeah, I say like a lot of speculation on how the Pistons could go about that. I, I think if the Pistons had a top three pick, it would add a lot more intrigue to that situation just because obviously at that point, now you're drafting the guy who's going to be his direct replacement. Uh, but just given that at the fifth pick, there's really only one guy in Keegan Murray who has positional overlap with Jeremy Grant. That does kind of reduce the incentive for the Pistons to move him. So yeah, you know, I, I, I talk to people, there's a lot of speculation, Pistons could do this, Pistons could do that. But at the end of the day, it just comes down to, you know, what's put on the table for D- Detroit and if it makes sense. Uh, like, I think there are deals that they would say yes to, but it's kind of like the same situation at the trade deadline. Uh, you know, there's a deal you say yes to, but teams still have to put that on the table. Uh, but no, for sure. I think, you know, just from talking to people at, at the Combine, there's a handful of situations that could work out to Jeremy Grant being moved. And we'll just have to see. We'll just have to see. I don't want to put a lot out there now because, you know, fans kind of, you know, like I know everybody's wondering well, what's going to happen with Jeremy Grant, but I'll just rather just kind of wait and see how that goes down. 
And then one name that doesn't have anything to do with the draft, but has come up a lot, especially here recently, you answered it in a mailbag for Freep.com and other national reporters have mentioned it. And that's DeAndre Ayton, a name that, you know, uh, I don't know, a month ago, whenever the NBA playoffs were starting, every, if you mentioned DeAndre Ayton to the Pistons, people would tweet back at you, there's no way that DeAndre Ayton's leaving Phoenix. There's no way he's coming to Detroit. And now the odds say he may be the best chance of landing in Detroit if he doesn't stay in Phoenix. So was there any talk about him? And I do want to mention for our listeners, we'll have Keith Smith on next episode if you guys know him. And he's great with the salary cap and free agency and all that stuff. He'll give some great insights. But what kind of rumblings did you hear about DeAndre? Andre Ayton, is there some? Do you feel like there's some truth to that talk? Yeah, I mean, like I think the Pistons are interested. Uh, you know, team being interested isn't necessarily the same as a, you know, team being ready to put other chips in. And uh, you know, I do think Ayton probably is the long shot, just because one, the Pistons aren't the only team that might make a run out of uh, two is a restricted free agent, so Phoenix can match any deal that's put on the table. And uh, yeah, there's speculation that they may not want to offer him or match a uh, max offer. I think from the Detroit standpoint, it's a long shot. That doesn't mean it, it won't happen, but there's a lot of factors. There is more reason to believe it won't happen than to believe it it, it will. Uh, but, you know, but the Pistons also have ways to create more cap space. You know, there are signing trades they could look at. Uh, if they really, really want eight in, there are ways to get it done. But it probably is more of a long shot than maybe some other guys. And obviously, DeAndre Ayton became a hot name on the market because of the Suns fizzling out in the playoffs. So when we come back from this break, we are going to dive right into the NBA playoffs where we have our NBA Finals matchup set between the Celtics and the Warriors and talk about some of our biggest surprises, disappointments, and that matchup. I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter letter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. Before we get into sort of the more detailed finals talk, I wanted to throw this out there. I tweeted this Sunday night and I didn't think it would be controversial, but it ended up being controversial. Uh, of course, we have a Warriors uh, Celtics finals and I think this is a likable finals, one of the more likable finals we've had in a while. I think both of these teams uh, are likable teams and in my mind I was just like a no-brainer but I had a lot of Pistons fans who are like how could you say that about Boston like what's wrong with you like how is Boston likable what like what are you talking about somebody was like are you high <laughs> <laughs> and then I had like some go to state hate in my mentions too so I'll tell you that at like you know midnight or whatever then I wake up and I'm just scrolling through and I'm just like I didn't get ratio you know because at the end of the day it was still a good take but came close so Bryce I'm gonna throw this back to you do you think this is a likable finals and if not why are one or both of these teams hateable teams? So I'm I'm gonna be the what is it, the devil's advocate. Two names, Omari, for why this can't be the most likable finals. Marcus Smart and Draymond Green. 
maybe the two most unlikable players in the NBA. I, I don't know how many of my friends text me and like, man, I can't stand watching Draymond Green play or I can't stand Marcus Smart. Now, I, I respect their games. I don't want people to get this twisted. It has I respect the game. You can dislike how they do it or their personalities on the floor. I'm sure they're great men off the floor, so it's not about that. But the flopping from Marcus Smart, the complaining from Draymond Green, I can understand why people get frustrated by that. Now, very important players. Again, don't get me wrong. They really contribute to their team's success. But just because of those two guys, you may not be able to be the most likable finals. And then there, like, there's some Steph Curry hate. I don't think people have always loved they loved him to begin with, but now he's changed the game in a bad way. And I think once a guy gets too much love, then people start to turn against him. And so I, I don't know if there's anybody else on Boston that has the Al Horford's easy to love right now, man. I, I just, I really like, I believe this is his first finals. I, I think I saw that the other day in all the playoffs he's made, all the games he's played, he finally made it to the finals and is playing well at his age. Well, I guess my counter to the Draymond Marcus Smart thing is that every finals has you know, one or two guys who are heels, right? Like, yeah. you look at last year, like, I had somebody respond to the tweet. They were like, how could you say this a year after we got Bucks Suns? And I'm like, because the Suns have Chris Paul. And Chris Paul is more hated than anybody on either of these teams. Uh, and he also flops. <laughs> so, you know, and then you look, you know, but before that, you know, like, look, we had we had Lakers heat in 2020, and people just hate Miami in general. Um, and then people also hate LeBron, LeBron. in general. Yep. And the Lakers in general. They hated the that. KD Warriors. They hated the KD Warriors, who, you know, and then before that, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you had just different iterations of like LeBron and the Warriors in it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think I like Marcus Smart just because he's just a very like I like Draymond and Marcus Smart. Like, yes, like they flop, but a lot of guys flop in today's NBA. Like, that's kind of I can't like fault them for that specifically. It's just more of a general NBA issue. And I mean, I went to Michigan State, so maybe there's some Michigan State bias here for for uh, Draymond. But Marcus Smart, I mean, he's just like a very unique player. Uh, you know, like just competes super hard. Uh, very great defensively, emotional leader. And he does like a lot of the, I think with Marcus Smart is that you have some guys that like flop, but like don't like doing the, the dirty work. But Marcus Smart like does all of the dirty work. And for me, maybe that gives you more leeway as far as like when you try to exaggerate certain things. So I don't know, like I'm sticking with it. Like I think what I like about both of these teams is that like in an area where we had a lot of teams try to, you know, like go the super team route. Like you look at, you know, like Brooklyn, obviously, or go to state where they added Kevin Durant, a few other teams, uh, you know, teams have just tried to, you know, like just like, I guess, skip steps per se. And, you know, to speed that process up. And you have a Boston team that's been very patient. Uh, you know, people have criticized some of the moves they made, which I always thought was unfair because they just had bad luck. Like, you know, you signed Gordon Hayward. Like that was a good signing. It's injured. Dude has a terrible injury five minutes into the season. <laughs> uh, you know, you trade for Kyrie. That was a good trade. And Kyrie's just kind of like, nah, I'm good. I want to go somewhere else. You know, Jason Tatum, we've watched him grow up over the last five years. and He's become a fantastic player. Jalen Brown, no one thought he was going to be this good, honestly. Like, that wasn't the greatest draft. And he was a, a project athletic guy. But how much game does he have? And he's exceeded all the expectations. You have Robert Williams. Uh, you just mentioned Al Horford, who's been in the league forever. And uh, I, I, he's been in at least one Eastern Conference Finals, but I've never gotten this far. Uh, and then going to state, like, you know, they they, they could have decided to blow it up after, after clearing stuff at their injuries. And they were like, no, we're going to see it through. Uh, you have a guy in Jordan Poole, a very late first round pick who exceeds all expectations. Wiggins has sort of had a career re renaissance. 
I like this finals a lot. Like I feel like there's a lot to like. I'm surprised people don't like it. No, I, I'm not. I don't disagree at all. This is the finals I wanted because I actually really dislike the Miami Heat, and I've outlined multiple times on this podcast why I didn't want four to seven games of Jimmy Butler on my TV. So, in by the way, he was incredible. Jimmy Butler was absolutely incredible. That's more of a personal thing there with Jimmy Butler, but. Warriors, the, the Clay Thompson recovery story is awesome. It's hard not to like that. Jordan Poole, like in the G League, now he's playing. You've outlined all of these things. The Celtics, Ime Udoka as a rookie coach after, you know, all the changes they made. You know, someone tweeted this out this morning, and, and people may forget this, and maybe we were all crazy. It's very good chance that we were. There was talks of them breaking up the big two in Boston after, what, 25 or 30 games. Pistons fans were going like, is Jalen Brown really going to be on the trade market? Would you would you trade player, player, draft pick, whatever, for Jalen Brown and bring him to Detroit? So think about how they turned their season around. And that was really, really impressive. So I'm with you. This was the finals matchup I wanted as we started to work our way through the bracket. And I'll be tuned in. Hopefully we get better games than what we've seen in a lot of these matchups throughout the the conference finals at least which ended up being a lot of blowouts I know the the last couple I think in the eastern conference were at least good games but there were a lot of blowouts it seemed in the conference finals matchups for sure and I'm optimistic that the finals would be better uh honestly like I think my my theory uh is just that teams are kind of tired you got a short offseason last year and you go back to an 82 game season and they're just playing games back to back you have to travel and all that like I just wonder if teams just kind of wore down. Like people were talking about coaching or whatever else. I'm like, well, these are all good coaches. Like I don't think anyone's doing anything wrong per se. Uh, but yeah, especially in today's era where, you know, you just see so many more swings because of the three ball. You know, we saw teams come back from 20 or 25 point deficits as well. I just don't think those deficits are what they used to be. You know, I think a 25 point deficit now is probably closer to more like a 20 or 15 point deficit like 10 or 15 years ago. You know, teams get hot, teams get cold. You know, obviously, these are the best teams re- remaining. They're, they get some significant time off before game one of the finals, which I think is on Thursday. And then you have a few ga- days of rest in between each game. So hopefully it will be a lot more competitive because it kind of took the steam out of the playoffs when you're getting all these great games through the first two rounds. And then it's just <laughs> 15, 20 point blowouts going both ways every single game. No, and I think the injuries played into this stuff a little bit as well. And, and that will take us to like some of the questions I have about the playoffs in general. What was the most um, unexpected run from a team? What was the most disappointing run? Some of those things. But I, I really think that some of these teams got down by 20 and then they had players that were beat up. So maybe they packed it in a little bit quicker than what they normally would. They're saying, all right. We're up 2-1. We're down by 20-25 in the middle of the like we're we're going to we're going to go ahead and shut it down cuz Jimmy Butler is really hobbling right now and we need to save him for game 5 or whatever it was. So I I do think some of that played into it as well. And I don't know, there's variance in this stuff also that you know teams just got hot and and it just happened. I mean, I know we saw the huge blowout in the Mavericks Suns game seven, that was the, that was still entertaining, even though it was a 50 point blowout. It was really weird. I couldn't turn it off, but was that the team that disappointed you the most, Amari? Let's start with that. What was the Phoenix Suns going out, not even in the conference finals, the conference semifinals to Luca and the Mavs. Was that the most disappointing of any team in the playoffs? I think so. And I think the thing about Dallas is they were kind of similar to Boston, where if you just look at, NBA team records from like January 1st to January 15th or whatever. Boston and Dallas were just like smacking everybody. So it probably wasn't as big an upset as it was kind of made out to be. 
But at the end of the day, Phoenix was the only team to win more than 60 games. They won 64. Uh, they made the finals last year and they had a lot of momentum on their side. And yeah, I think it's not necessarily that they lost to Dallas. I think, I actually think ESPN, like obviously University picked the Suns to come out. If I were picking that series, I would have guessed it, it, it was going to go seven. Honestly, I still probably would have picked Phoenix, but I thought it would have been a dogfight. Uh, but it was just the way they went out, like just completely defeated. Uh, just no no spark, no fire at all. Definitely one of the most embarrassing playoff losses I've seen. So, yeah, I think that's totally fair. Like Chris Paul turned 37 and just completely <laughs> uh, just lost his ability to play basketball. I don't know what happened there. Maybe there was some injury. Uh, like I really don't know. But, yeah, I think you also just look at their, their timeline. And, you know, Chris Paul, I think, has two years left on this deal, but he's 37. Is he going to come back? Chris Paul next season, or is he going to be more like 2011 Jason Kidd, where he's more of a you want him to be your 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 fifth or sixth best guy, not your <laughs> not your second or third. And you look at DeAndre Ayton, you know, does he come back? Yada yada. You know, they kind of had a lot of, lot of momentum on their side, and now it's like, well, what version of Phoenix will we even get next season? So. Yeah, I think for sure that was the most disappointing. Well, and injuries played a huge part in this, right? Miami battled some within series. Tyler Hero didn't play, what, the last two games? And then game seven, he barely played. Ben Simmons wasn't playing. Milwaukee didn't have Middleton. Chicago didn't have Zach Levine. Boston has battled injuries. Robert Williams in and out of the lineup. Marcus Smart in and out of the lineup. Phoenix, Chris Paul, I think it did come out that he had an injury that he was playing through. Denver was missing two of their best players. Memphis, obviously, John Morant went down. So injuries were a huge part in this. One team I had on that, and I know they went into the playoffs as a seven seed, Amari, but was the Brooklyn Nets. They got swept, and now you know it's by Boston, who now is in the NBA Finals and you know has a legit chance to win it. But I really thought they were a team who, because of all the Kyrie and COVID vaccine stuff, they were going to get into the playoffs, though, and then be able to make a run. And it just didn't happen. Were you disappointed that they got swept in the first round and weren't able to make a push in the playoffs at all? Or, Or were you surprised by that at all? I wasn't surprised at all. Like, I think on one hand, it's like, okay, you have... You know, Kyrie and Kevin Durant so he could compete with anybody. They, they they just had a circus going on like all season with, you know, first Kyrie and the vaccine stuff. What how many games did Kyrie play last season? Like twenty. I mean, uh they never really had the opportunity to develop chemistry because all three of their guys, even before Simmons when they still had James Harden, like all those guys were in and out of the little lineup. And when they made those moves to begin with, I think people recognized that it seems very, very top-heavy, and they're going to have death issues. And when you get to the playoffs, you need death to win, period. Like, I just think the margin for error becomes a lot thinner. Uh, so you had a team that was in the headlines all season for all the wrong reasons. Like, you know, guys barely played together, so they had very poor chemistry. And then as soon as Kyrie comes back, you swap the Kyrie vaccine stuff. Well, not swap because I was still kind of going on, but now you have Ben Simmons come in, and he has a back injury. You know, you make a trade for him, and he's like, hey, he's going to fix a lot of their issues, you know, when he comes back. That it's like, oh, is he coming back? And Steve Nash is giving all these <laughs> mixed messages as far as if he's healthy or not. And that becomes a whole different circus. And then it's like, oh, yeah, Ben Simmons will come back for the playoffs. And then it's like, oh, no, he's not going to come back for the playoffs like the, game, the day before game four. And it's just you can't win games when you have that much stuff going on. Like, I don't think they had any chemistry at all. Uh, they didn't have any depth. And and their top guys also barely played. Like, whatever the best-case scenario was when they made those moves, uh, I think everything that could have went wrong did go wrong. So uh, maybe I would have thought a sweep, but in hindsight, I don't think it's that shocking. Yeah, Kyrie played 29 games this year, according to Wes, who looked that up for us there. And then, you know, I, I skipped over Joel Embiid injuries. Like, Joel Embiid was playing, missed games, right? 
and then played through multiple injuries. He was a warrior in in these playoffs playing through injuries. So that just another one that was playing through that and where it may have affected how good a team was. Who are some teams that surprised you with their run? Or let, let me say this, who is the team? What's the team that has made the the run that you're like, man, I didn't see this coming. You got Boston in the finals. You had Dallas make it to the conference finals. I, you know, I don't know if I'm really surprised by any team, honestly. Uh, USA to today, a lot of times, like what we'll, we'll do polls before big uh, basketball events just across the USA Today networks. So, like it'll be me, the Bucks writer, whoever else, you know, just like predicting this stuff. And my dark horse, I think my safe pick for the finals was Phoenix Bucks, just a rematch. And my dark horse pick was Warriors Celtics, which is what we got. I think when you kind of look at the playoffs as a whole, a lot of the stuff kind of played out how you would expect it to. Yeah, I mean, just the parity in the NBA is just so great now that, like, realistically, you probably have seven or eight teams that could have caught fire and made the runs that they did. So I'm going to lob it back to you. I'll think about it. But was there any team that surprised you? Because I think for the most part, it kind of played out how I would have guessed it. I think the two teams I mentioned, I think Boston making a run all the way to the NBA Finals definitely surprised me. I did not have that. I probably thought the the Nets, you know, this people are going to call me a casual for this. I thought the Nets were going to give them a, a great, you know, first round matchup, you know, which ended up being a sweep. So I underestimated them. And then even Dallas making the run to the conference finals. I know they ended up losing in five, but I thought that was impressive. Beating Phoenix, beating Phoenix in a game seven uh, on the road was really impressive. And then the Grizzlies, that's a team that I haven't necessarily loved all season. And, you know, they obviously got out of the first round. Then they met the Warriors. And even against the Warriors, they take it to six without John Morant for part of that series. I thought their performance was really, really impressive in this playoff as well. And it'll be interesting to see what they do. Do they run it back with the same team? Or do they make a move and think they need to get a second star? Maybe Jaron Jackson Jr. or Desmond Bain are going to become second stars. But that was a team I didn't necessarily believe a lot in. I don't know that they made it further than what I would have guessed. But I was just impressed with their performance overall. A team that maybe I expected a little bit more from is uh, Utah. Yes, and I think yes. a lot of people were kind of, you know, maybe out on them just because they've fallen short in the past. Like, again, I think another team where you kind of have issues that mount during the season. And, of course, losing Joe Ingles was really huge for them because they're another team that doesn't have great depth. And when you lose one of your – I mean, he's probably like their, you know, third or fourth best guy, depending on how you feel about Mike Conley. Yeah, now they're sort of in a rough situation, too, where – you know, it's like, well, what, what do you do now? Like, Mike Conley is probably 34, 35. He has an injury history. Uh, Rudy Gobert is about to make like $100 million a year. <laughs> Donovan Mitchell, I mean, great player. Like, when I compare him to Jaden Ivey to him, like, yeah, that's best case. But you always have limitations during the playoffs because he is just not – like, when you are a guard and, you know, like, you're not a great playmaker, you're like an okay playmaker, and basically most of your value comes from your scoring, it kind of caps, I think, the ceiling of your – uh, team, right? Especially when you don't have the other playmaker to do those things, which the Jazz don't. Earlier, like I kind of credited, you know, Golden State and Boston, just, you know, you have issues over the years and you're just like, no, like we believe in our core, we're going to see it through. Uh, not Utah's kind of in that boat where it's like, what well, do you, you know, continue to commit to this core or do you blow it up? And to me, I'm always like, if you're already a playoff team, you already have stars, just see it through. You never know what trade may be able to come along eventually that can, you know, push you over, over the top where maybe you hit on a, another draft pick, you know, in, in the 20s that exceeds expectations. Um, like you just look at going to state with Jordan Poole, right? You know, maybe Utah can get their Jordan Poole type guy where in a few years, 
Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell are still playing at a high level. Now you have this third guy that kind of came out of nowhere and helps you out. I'm, I'm just intrigued by Utah in, in general because I think teams like that, like your best option is to see it through. And worst comes to worst, you just feel a playoff team for many years that fans are still look back finally on, even if they don't, you know, reach whatever ceiling you want them to hit. But they're in a, a unique spot right now. So I would say if there's a team that may be underwhelmed, just definitely no. So you brought up the Jazz. So last question here before we go to segment three and bring back the Sheed or Sham segment, bringing our guy Wes in here to, to lead us through some of that. Who is the team that is in the most, what do we do now? You brought up the Jazz, and you're saying just continue with it. You, the 76ers, what do they do now? Do they just continue to run it back? You know, in that trade with Ben Simmons, they obviously got James Harden, who has a major player option, I believe, is available for a you know a huge extension. The Lakers, not a playoff team, but what do they do with their contract situation? And even the Phoenix Suns, Chris Paul is getting older, I think 37. DeAndre Ayton's a restricted free agent. What team of the, of out of those are you like? What does that team do this offseason or which one intrigues you the most or you think has to go do something to improve? Because all those teams are in win now based on their roster. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think teams generally, you know, we get into the situation where a team, you know, fails for whatever reason. And then it's like, oh, they got to blow it up or make these dramatic moves. And in general, I just feel like that's usually a bad idea unless you're just presenting an offer that just makes complete sense. So all those teams should see it through. Like if, if I'm Philly, it's just, okay, we have James Harden, we have Embiid, Tyrese Maxey came in and played really, really well as a sophomore player. Just bring it back. Just challenge James Harden to get his body right, you know, because I think he's had that hamstring injury that's kind of lingered the last two seasons. Just, James, you got to come back and, you know, you got to be the player we need you to be. Embiid, get healthy because Embiid always has <laughs> some sort of injury. Uh, but year three of Tyrese Maxey, he might really become a dog. I mean, he was really good last season. Yeah, I, like I would say the team that's probably in the worst position right now is Phoenix just because they went out so sad. Like they were sort of the NBA darling, and then it all kind of gets snatched from under them. Chris Paul's 37, DeAndre Ayton. Uh, things about it kind of soured there just because they didn't max him out. And I would say I actually think Phoenix made the right <laughs> decision there because I think maxing out guys who may not quite be max guys, it's like you get in trouble down the road. Uh, so I can't really fault them for that. But Phoenix would be my pick for sure, just because Chris Paul is 37 and still has two years left. And this is like the third iteration of is Chris Paul too old to, you know, to to uh, be traded. You know, like I feel like Houston was in the same situation like five years ago, which ended up being in- incorrect. But yeah, now Chris Paul is 37. Uh, you just lost in the second round. Your second best player, third best player, Aiden, may not come back next season. And they're like, well, maybe Bismack Biombo or... <laughs> or whoever could fill in and give you enough at the center position, which, like, I'm sorry, Aiden's just a way better, better player than those guys. So Phoenix would be my pick for sure. Absolutely. It's going to be an interesting offseason, not just for the Suns, the Lakers, and all those teams, but for the Detroit Pistons as well. And when we come back, Wes is going to lead us through a game of Sheed or Sham, which he'll explain essentially it's true-false about current Detroit Pistons and their NBA draft profiles and combines. All right, hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Maros, and I'll go, and then we'll go back. You want, you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food. 
arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists to talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. All right, guys, before we get into Sheet or Sham, I do want to thank everyone. Omari and I both want to thank everyone for all of their ratings and reviews on Apple, Spotify, all the comments on Freep.com, wherever you're listening to the podcast. We have 87 ratings on Apple with that one one-star rating that still sits there and looks at us every single time we check it. I would l- Let's get it to 100, guys. And then same thing on Spotify, 64 five-star ratings. You guys are incredible. Go ahead and give us a rating. Help support the podcast. Help us grow. Help us become the number one Detroit Pistons podcast out there. And we do have a new review from Michigan David. He said the most in-depth and insightful Pistons podcast there is. The mix of a former D1 player and current high school coach with a Pistons beat writer is the perfect blend for a podcast. You get the best analysis of this team, hands down. They give you all the scenarios and ask all the questions I want answered. They definitely have the pulse of this team. If you are a true Pistons fan, this podcast is a must. Yeah, again, we always appreciate the comments. So shout out to Michigan David for saying that. Uh, we are the Pistons Post Pod. So for somebody to say they have the post of the team, it's like, hey, we did it for the Pistons Post. And somebody just said they have the post of the Pistons. So job well done. This is our last episode. We accomplished our goal. No. <laughs> but no, like we always appreciate it. I'm always going to make salsa full time. Yeah, I'm a, yeah, I'm a full-time salsa maker now. No, again, we always appreciate when you guys reach out to us. Uh, make, makes us feel good. So uh, if you have some some nice words you've been sitting on uh, through the previous 14 episodes, stop sitting on it. Go ahead and comment, uh, like, review, whatever. And we'll give you a shout out on the pot. Absolutely. And, and always feel to reach out. David is actually someone that has reached out to me, I think, through Facebook. And so we interact every once in a while. He'll send me questions about the team, email us, Twitter DMs, whatever it is. Reach out, discuss the Pistons, the, the podcast, NBA, basketball at large. But let's get our guy Wes Davenport in here. And, and I'm not going to like call him out. Wes has had some big things in him and his wife's life here the last couple of weeks. I'm not going to get into the details. I just want to say Wes that's awesome. Omari, all of us are very happy for you. Big time things. Congratulations. But jump in here, explain the game to everybody, and let's get rolling. I may or may not be recording from a pretty empty uh, apartment right now. So, yeah, we'll work on that all fixed. But so the game, it is Sheed or Sham. So essentially what this is going to be, it's a quick little true or false game. I'm going to tell you guys, Bryce and Omari, a fact or a stat, and you're going to have to tell me if it's Sheed true or sham false. So uh, these, like you said before, it's going to be about the current Pistons players, what they did in the combine, and then some uh, general current Pistons draft stuff as well. So I'll jump in with the first question. I'll go to you, Bryce. So Frank Jackson had a higher max vertical leap than Amadou Diallo. Sheet or sham? Sheet. I think I might be a sheet too. Sheet, it is. All right. I'll get you guys with that one. So yeah, Frank was 42 inches max. Tommy was 40 and a half inch. Frank got those surprising bunnies, Omari. We saw it a couple times in transition this year. He went up off two feet and, and kind of shocked everybody. He does. I don't know why Frank Jackson's athleticism is surprising. Maybe it's because he does not have like an athletic play style, if that makes sense. He's like, he does like a lot of catch and shoot stuff. Yes. And, you know, like when he has an open lane to the rim, like, yeah, he, he could take off, but he's not like 
you know, a guy who's like Euro stepping and all that. Like he's more so a three point shooter. So yeah, like Hami has an authentic game because he's taking most of his shots at the rim. So his vert like it makes sense. But then Frank, it's like he takes like eight threes and then like he gets like a lane and he jumps out the gym and it's like, wait, what? Like, you know, he plays more like a JJ Reddick type, but he also happens to have hops. So it's a very unique blend for him. Like he does not have a game that necessarily requires him to have a 42 inch vertical yet. He does have one. No, that's absolutely right. Like his archetype yeah. is a three point shoot. I'm not going to even say three and D cause you know, you got to be able to do it on the other end too, but it's a three point yeah. shooter. So then whenever he comes in with these, these hops and you're like, wow, where did that come from? I, I wouldn't have had a clue before obviously the last season, couple seasons, I would have missed that question. You know, you're, you're always overthinking with Wes here cause you know, he's trying to trip us up. But I felt pretty confident on that one. Yeah, because even like him going to Duke and being like a five-star guy, uh, it's like he kind of remember from back then when he came in, it was like, yeah, this guy is like an athlete. But then he also like barely played, you know, for a few years because he was hurt. So, yeah, it's always su- surprising. But I would – I don't even know how you would put this into a graph, but I would like to see like the intersection of like guys who take like the highest percentage of threes. And their like, vertical jumps. Their, like, vert. And I would bet that Frank has – is probably on the very high end of guys who take like two thirds of their shots from three, but could also plausibly win a dunk contest. Like most guys do not have that, that blend of talent. I feel like we can create that graph. I feel like we could do that. So we'll have to look into it. For sure. So uh, next one, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask you, Omari, first. So Jeremy Grant has a longer tested wingspan at the combine than Isaiah Stewart. Sheet or sham? Uh... I'm going to go Sham because I think Isaiah's wingspan is – is. I mean, I would honestly think their wingspans, are, they might be close. But I think Isaiah Stewart has like a very above average wingspan, which is part of the reason why he's able to play center at like 6'8". So, yeah. So, that's what I'm going with. I'm going to go Sham as well. It is Sham. Uh, Stewart right. is about two inches longer. So, Jeremy's 7'2 and three quarters. Stewart 7'4". And three quarters, both just massively. I was going to say, both of those are kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I knew Isaiah Stewart had a crazy wingspan, but that's a pretty ridiculous wingspan from Jeremy Grant as well at, what, 6'9", and then the 7'2 wingspan. That's that's impressive. Hey, how about Mark Williams with the nine foot nine standing reach at the combine? Did you happen to walk by him, Amari? Did you see him walking around? Because I feel like that's just got to be an extremely impressive human being with that height and that wingspan. No, I, I don't think I saw Mark Williams in, in person while I was there. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, nine nine foot nine standing reach is absurd. Like, dude can basically sit on his toes and dunk. Yeah, he's kind of like my dark horse guy to, like, randomly go, like, top. Like, I think he's probably firmly a lottery pick now. But I'm curious if a team is just, like, let's just, like, not overthink this. Uh, this guy, is, he might be really go bare. And I think he's a guy where you look back three or four years and it's just, like, why didn't we take the <laughs> – the guy with a nine foot nine standing reach and is great on defense and moves pretty well. Like those guys always have long careers. He's a good athlete. I like Mark Williams a lot. Like I'm curious if he's the first true center off of the board, assuming that Chet's not a true center. Yeah. So for the listeners who may not be familiar with Mark Williams, he's the big man out of Duke. He actually is sophomore, um, but he's seven foot two, large wingspan, obviously the standing reach. I still think Jalen Duran's probably the better prospect at the center position, but a guy getting a lot of lottery buzz. And, you know, I think my favorite comparison for him is probably Clint Capella, just because I think the archetypes and the body types look pretty similar. But yeah, kind of a guy that you're hoping is going to protect the rim, not a ton of 
you know, offensive game outside of just pick and roll, lob threat, offensive rebounds and those things. Wes, we're two for two, man. I don't know if you're distracted with what you got going on this weekend, but um, you haven't been able to stump us yet. Yeah, I know. Just, I really thought uh, Frank Jackson would have got you guys, but uh, Bryce, <laughs> you're going to need to get this one right. So I think I told you uh, leading up, I, I put in one multiple choice question. Yes. So this is what that is. I'm going to ask you first. It's about Pistons star Roddy, Rodney McGruder. Uh, he went undrafted in 2013, but out of what college? Wichita State, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, or Colorado State? I mean, I, I got this one in the bag. I want Omari to go. Uh, it's Kansas State. I'm like 80% sure. <laughs> Only 80? He definitely went to Kansas State. So he actually, I live in Lakin, Kansas, far southwest Kansas, actually opposite side of the state of Manhattan, which is where K-State University is. But he actually, a lot of kids from western Kansas go to K-State, as you could imagine. He actually used to hang out with uh, kids that graduated from Lakin High School. So I think he's actually been to Lakin, Kansas and like hung out for a weekend. Not whenever I lived here. We, me and my family have just recently moved here from another small town in the area. But I definitely knew Rodney Magruder went to K-State. And just for the record, I actually grew up a KU fan hating K-State. I figured you would know, but I had to throw it in there and test it out just in case. All right, so we will uh, we'll jump on to the next one then. I'm going to get one of you guys on, on something. So <laughs> All right, Omari, uh, you first. Corey Joseph has a higher max vertical than Carson Edwards, who is still technically on the roster. Cheater Sham. Corey Joseph and Carson Edwards. Well, these guys may have the lowest verts on the team, so that makes it. Luca Garza. Oh, surprisingly not. Oh, yeah. Well, Luca Garza. Um, Corey Joseph has a lower vert. No, he said higher, right? Higher vert. Higher, higher. Carson Edwards. Sheed or Sham. I'm gonna go Sham just because Carson Edwards, yeah, like Carson Edwards is like I, I like I don't know what he's listed at, but just from like standing next to him, like I might have an inch on him, <laughs> and I'm like you know you can't see it, but I'm like six feet in like quotes, so I'm just gonna go Carson Edwards. I don't know, I just feel like the right guess. Like that's a coin flip for me, honestly. That means Amari's official combine measurement would be five ten, just for the record. <laughs> I'm going to go Sham as well because Wes loves Carson Edwards. So I would be shocked if he put a Sheet or Sham question in here where Corey Joseph was better than Carson Edwards at something. So I'm going Sham also. I would be shocked then because Corey Joseph outjumped Carson Edwards by a half inch. 35 oh, wow. <laughs> to 34 So we both missed it. We're still tied, Omari. Yeah, we are still tied. Yeah, that was like I was like that's a coin flip for real. They might have the exact same vert. <laughs> you, you said it's not the low. Do you have the lowest on the team? I believe it was Kelly Olenek, and I think he did 28. Him and Luca would be vying for that uh, honor, I would guess. Yeah. So I got none of you, and then I got both of you. All right, uh, next one, Bryce, you first. The Pistons have seven second-round picks on this roster, Sheed or Sham. Ooh, seven second-round picks on this roster, Sheed or Sham. All right, I don't want to – I get to go first. Oh, yeah, that's right. But you go because I got to try to count them. Up. I got to try to count them up. Well, I'm in the same boat. I'm also trying to count. So, uh... all right. For the record, everybody, we edited out about 30 seconds there as Omari <laughs> and I tried to go through the roster. I still can't figure it out. I'm just gonna go Sham. Uh, all right. I'm gonna go Sheed just so we can break this uh, tie. Omari, you're right. It is seven. All right. All right. It's Sheed. So they've got Jeremy Grant, Frank Jackson, Tommy. Carson Edwards, Saban Lee, Garza, and Isaiah Livers. And on top of that, they have three more undrafted guys on the roster, too. 
Yeah, I can only think of four. I was like, like on top of my head, I'm like, I know that there's more than that, but there we go. There we go. Now I'm in the lead. So, Wes, I'm just going to give you the wink and the gun. Go ahead and let me uh, finish out this dub. Yeah, that, that 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 was in the outline somewhere, I think. Omari played that off well, like he didn't know what the actual answer was. You know. <laughs> <I didn't. laughs> All right, Wes, let's uh let's go two more. I think we got time for two more of these. Maybe I can get back and tie it up or take the lead. Okay. Perfect. Then. So uh Omar, you first. Kelly right. Olinick ran a faster short shuttle time at the combine than Hamadou Diallo, Peter Sham. You're overthinking it. I can see the look on your face. I mean, that's got to be Sham, but the fact that Wes actually makes me think it's Sheet. <sighs> I wish you guys could see the video of this. This is why we got to get a, get on YouTube. Engineer, Kurt, Kerry, we got to get on YouTube because the look on Omari's face, the, the just utter <laughs> deflation of his body language is incredible right now. See, this is a perfect question because it's like, I mean, that's obviously Sham, but then why else would... It's, it's, it's like a mind trick. It's like... I'm just gonna go. Sam. I'm like I'm going Sam. Like Sheed, I, 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 Sheed please be Sheed. Sheed. Kelly <laughs> Olynyk was a two point nine nine. Hami was three point one four. So are we just are we overvaluing Hami as an athlete? I feel like this is insane right now. Yeah, maybe Kelly is. Uh, maybe Hami was trying to tank his stock. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't add up. Okay. Yeah, I was like that's probably Sheed because Wes asked it, but just on paper that doesn't make any sense at all. So now we're tied. All right, we're tied. We got one more. We will answer separate. I will let Omari essentially make the deciding decision for both of us. So Omari, I'll let you choose, and this will break the tie one way or the other. All right. This is a tough one because I actually have two left, but I think I'm going to go with the pretty obscure one. So, you know, at the combine, they test hand length, right, palm to fingertip, and then the width. So we're going to talk about hand width. Corey Joseph is tied with Isaiah Stewart for the widest hands on the Detroit Pistons per combine measurements. Sheed or Sham? You know what? I am going to go Sheed because, for one, Corey's vert was higher than I thought it was. And Corey's like, listen, like 6 or 6 1. So a lot of those guys are usually like, they wrap measurements you wouldn't expect or like are surprisingly athletic in ways you wouldn't expect. That sounds pretty absurd. So I'm just going to make up for my mistake last time where I'm just going to go against my gut instinct and say she. I feel like he has an advantage on this question. He's probably like actually shook these guys' hands. And like, I figured Omari would have a little more insight into that question and be able to actually some backing behind it. Yeah. Well, I will, I will promise you, you know, whenever I've dropped a player up, I've never, <laughs> like, I don't like, unless the guy just has like Kawhi Leonard hands or whatever, they're probably all pretty similar. So, but yeah, I'm going, I'm going she. That means I got to go sham. She. So both he and go. Isaiah Stewart, like I said, they're tied. They have 10 and a half inch wide hands. And then the next closest is Kelly Olenek with 10. There you go. Yeah, I was like, Corey is like probably like he's got, if you just looked at all his combine measurements, he would probably pop out in ways you wouldn't expect just because guys he play at his size are usually surprisingly athletic or just have measurements you would not expect at all. There we go. There we go. I, I, I am I'm, I'm victorious. Happy Memorial Day, everyone. I don't think I've ever won a game of Sheet or Sham. And we'll have to go back and look at the tape, but I'm pretty sure Amari is like 3-0 and against me if we go back to the Motor City Hoops days. So 
I assume the listeners are going to love this little segment. I think the producers are going to love this segment. So I assume we will be bringing it back. And I got I to gotta get a dub here eventually against Amari. But right now, he's the king of Sheeter Sham. He's the king of salsa making. He's the best beat writer in Detroit, in the NBA. Omari, take us home, my friend. Thanks to everybody who helps us put this together, especially today to work on a holiday. Uh, shout out to Kerry Jr. the second. He silently sat in on today's pod, seeing how the magic is made. Especially again, like, you know, didn't have to work today probably, but still did it for the love of the game. So uh, thank you. Thanks to our executive producer, Anjanette Delgado, uh, our other executive producer, Kirkman Crawford. And then shout out to Wes. Glad we got you in the pod today to lead our first of what will probably be many Cheater Sham segments as we get into the dark depths of the offseason. Again, big thanks to all of our listeners, and we will talk to you all soon.